everyone, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, October 21st. I'm Kyle Dyer, and I'm thrilled to be here as host with our fantastic panel in this new home of Colorado Inside Out at PBS 12. It is an honor to now be a part of this respected and trusted Colorado program, which originally hit the air 30 years ago. No program has been on TV longer in Colorado history, except for Blinky the Clown, which had a 41-year run. So here we go, everybody. Uh, sitting right next to me is Patricia Calhoun, the founder and editor of Westward Newspaper, and then David Kopel, the uh, law, law professor at DU, and also he is the research director at the Independence Institute. Thank you so much for being here Thanks, as well. Man. Eric Sonderman, who is a columnist with Colorado Politics, along with the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazette. And then at the end, we have Kwame Spearman, who joins us. Kwame is the owner and CEO of Tattered Cover Bookstore and is the host of PBS 12's new show, Leaders as Readers. Shall we get started? Let's. Election day, two and a half weeks away, Tuesday, November the 8th, and you have probably already received your ballots in the mail. They were mailed out on Monday. According to a recent Marist poll, 66% of registered voters in Colorado do plan to vote by mail or by absentee ballot. 66%. There is a lot in this year's ballot, races that will decide who will represent us in Washington, at the state legislature, as well as other leadership positions and local ballot measures. Topic number one for tonight. One of Colorado races is getting a lot of buzz nationally, and that is the race between Senator Bennett and his challenger, Joe O'Day. Patty, there's been a lot of talk, especially this week, because President Trump, former President Trump, got involved in this race. Well, there was a lot of interest in this race before, and I think partly the national interest is because Joe O'Day is not a crazy right-winger. He has other issues, maybe, but he is not... I think the media likes to report on him because it makes it a race between two fairly reasonable people, which is rare in, in this country these days. I saw O'Day this morning on CNN. I saw him on Fox News. He is everywhere. But there's no question that the fact that he said he would not support Donald Trump if he ran again, and then Donald Trump taking off after Joe O'Day has really helped get him attention. Will it help him with Colorado voters? You figure 30% of the voters are pro-Trump anyway, so has he lost that percentage of the Republican Party? Will the fact that Trump doesn't like him influence unaffiliated, the biggest group in Colorado, to go O'Day if they were waffling between him and Bennett? So it's going to be a close race. I still think Bennett has it. He did not just say that he was going to go against. He said he would actively campaign against President Trump if he was a nominee, David. Well, I believe he said, I think he said he'd campaign in the primaries for other, other candidates, yes. of which there are many, many better Republicans uh, for the 2024 nom nomination. I think you take a look at Georgia, where Trump also vehemently hates Brian Kemp. Trump said he actually wants Stacey Abrams to win that gubernatorial election because, I mean, why not? I mean, they're, they're both uh, election deniers, so they've got a lot in common. And yet the polling shows uh, Kemp is getting 95% support from Georgia Republicans. So I don't think this harms O'Day much for getting the Republican vote, and I think it may be the path to victory through independence in Colorado, because there are a lot of people who say Biden's putting the country on the wrong track. We've got a senator who votes with Biden virtually all the time. Senator Bennett just said in an October 9th fundraiser, I'm more progressive than Bernie Sanders, which puts him out of the Colorado mainstream. But at the same time, those voters who might be ready for a change don't want an election denier, don't want somebody who says January 6th was just some kind of minor thing. 
Uh, O'Day's primary opponent, Ron Hanks, uh, endorsed the Libertarian candidate, and well, which is I, in a way to be expected. Charles Schumer, running the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee and all the big money, invested hugely in the Republican primary to try to help Hanks. It didn't work out, but after all those millions that Schumer spent on Hanks, Hanks has now given something back to Schumer uh, by helping Schumer get the preferred result he wants in this election. Eric, as Patty was saying, she is seeing O'Day on a lot of shows. They're writing about him nationally as well. And kind of at the angle where the GOP thinks he could be the Republican candidate that could eke out this election. Do you think that's going to happen? If I was a betting person, and I tend not to be, no, I wouldn't bet on it. But I think Republicans across the country, Mitch McConnell included, regard Colorado as possibly a sleeper state, possibly the shocker state. There are one or two elections in any cycle that you wake up the morning after and say, hmm, didn't see that one coming. And I think there's some Republicans who smell that potential here with the O'Day race in Colorado. Uh, Joe O'Day's made a big bet, but I think it is a smart bet. The bet is that there is a center lane in American politics and that there is a center lane in Republican politics and in the Republican Party. Now, Donald Trump, the, the, the bet is that Trump's hardcore base voters are not going to vote for Bennett, and they're not going to vote for Bennett, and that they will hold their nose even despite Trump's little whatever his social media platform is now, true social uh, rant a couple days ago, that they will hold their nose and vote for O'Day as the Republican alternative. Uh, the main lane that Republicans have been running in Colorado hasn't worked. They've been losing election after election for 20 years. So why not try a different strategy? Joe Day strikes me as a uniquely suited guy, given his background, blue-collar roots, et cetera. To try that, it is still an uphill climb in a state that is increasingly trending blue. It depends on how big that wave is, the, the Republican wave this year, if there is one at all. Uh, there's a chance but uh, he's still a significant underdog. No one's mentioning the unaffiliated voters, which make up so many people in our state. So Kwame, do you think Joe O'Day's being moderate could attract some of those people? Well, there, there is a time where a Republican has won in the past 20 years, and you have to go back to 2014, in which Cory Gardner beat my former boss, uh, Senator Mark Udall. I'm just not sure we want to see that movie again. Cory Gardner was um, our senator for six years, and the campaign promise of being a moderate, being an independent, going against his party was simply not fulfilled. And, and um, now Senator Hickenlooper had a fairly easy election in 2020. I just wonder if that plus Roe v. Wade are going to be enough to keep Senator Bennett in his seat. President Biden said this week that he will do everything he can to codify Roe if the Democrats hold both the House and the Senate. In a state that is already blue, with a, with a background of a senator who stayed with the Republican Party, plus Roe, I think that equals a very, very narrow Bennett victory. That being said, I, I, I'm one of the many who feel the O'Day campaign messaging is refreshing. And this notion of being moderate, of not screaming, of speaking intelligently on issues, I, I hope both parties keep that going as we see future elections. I do. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk through some of the congressional races. David, this is a year where everyone's talking about, could this be the year Republicans take control of the House? Or are these races too close? Like, we don't know. Let's start with the 8th Congressional District. Uh, brand new district. 
two women we know who have been in the state legislature, two very different takes on everything. And, and I, I think a good choice for the, for the voters. Mm -hmm. uh, clear ideological differences, both running pretty competent campaigns, and all the you know, national prognosticators saying that it, it's a very, very uh, close race. In the 7th Congressional District, Ed Perlmutter is retiring, so in my view, they're sure to have a step down in the quality of their representation, at least for a while, because Perlmutter was such a, a workhorse, not, not a show horse. And he definitely voted on the left, but not as much as, as Denver Representative Diana DeGette, because he recognized that he represented a, a more ideologically diverse district. The Republican nominee, Eric Adland, you know, I suppose has a chance to win. If he becomes a representative, he'll have, a, as a newcomer, a very steep learning curve. The Democratic nominee is Brittany Pedersen, and I can say from what I've seen of watching her in the legislature, she is 100% partisan, ardent cultural war aggressor, and when I see her present her bills, she doesn't seem to know much more about them than the talking points the lobbyists have written for her. And then over in the, the third CD with Bobert, Bobert is sort of, in, in a number of ways, our version of Ted Cruz, in that people from out of state, donors, hate him so much that whoever's running against Bobert or Cruz is sure to raise a ton of money, but in a way it's a misallocation of resources from the Democrats' point of view because a place like Texas is not going to nominate, some, elect somebody like Better or Work, and I don't see the third CD uh, electing an Aspen City Councilman. Mm, we'll see in a couple weeks. Um, I want to ask you more, Eric, about the 8th District. In the Denver area, those commercials are everywhere, right? Um, Barbara Kirkmeyer does have a name recognition. She's been a, very busy in the Republican Party, especially in Weld County. Caraveo, um, you know, there is a very large Hispanic voter population in this district, and she's hoping that will help her. I haven't seen any polling. Is it a close race? Recent polling, yeah. although admittedly out of the Caraveo campaign, okay. showed it right at the margin. Okay. I'd seen other polling more a few weeks back that showed Kirkmeyer with the lead, but still within the margin of error. This is for my money, the bellwether race in the state of Colorado. If Republicans are going to win anything this year, if they're going to have a chance with Joe Day, if they're going to have a chance with Pam Anderson or Lang Sias or some of those other down-ballot races, it starts with Barbara Kirkmeyer. If you're paying attention on election night, if Kirkmeyer is winning a convincing victory, a significant victory, then Republicans may have a chance on up and down the ballot of picking up a few other victories. If Kirkmeyer is either in a 50-50 race or is losing, it is going to be another long, sad night for Colorado Republicans, because if Kirkmeyer doesn't win, my supposition is probably none of those compet competitive contested races go Republican. In terms of the two candidates, Yadira Caraveo and Barb Kirkmeyer, I think they're both able, quality, talented people, well within the mainstream of their respective parties. The ad wars do not do either of them justice. Uh, the attack on, on Caraveo, I believe, is that she is a, quote, radical politician. The attack on Kirkmeyer is that she is a, quote, extremist politician. So there you go. Do you vote against the extremist or the radical? Yeah, everyone has to do their homework, right? Everyone has, and not just rely on what they see on TV. And as you were talking about the 7th District, we see uh, Pedersen on TV a lot. Her, you know, 
Adlin we don't see as often. And that whole district, too, has been reconfigured for this election as well, Kwame. One of the things you got to love about Colorado, in 20, in, excuse me, in 2000, we decided to create a congressional district, which was a bellwether for what we thought the country was looking at. And that was the 7th Congressional District. Had Bob Beaupre and then um, Ed Perlmutter, who's served in that seat, I believe, since 2006. Mm -hmm. I still think it's a bellwether district, and if you go back to the great Tip O'Neill, all politics are local. And one of the things that I've observed is Brittany Peterson is everywhere. I think she has relationships with their constituents. And so even though the district has been redrawn, you just get the feeling that an incredibly tight bellwether election, that, that ability to knock on someone's door and actually have had a prior conversation with them is going to serve her incredibly well. Uh, I agree, though. The 8th and the 7th District, as these districts go, you're going to see the success of the Republican Party in Colorado. If there ever was an election night, it looks like this could be the one. But, but I think in these incredibly close races, particularly with Brittany, who has been both state house representative and state senator, those relationships probably put her over the edge. And Patty, I want your thoughts. Thank you, Kwame. On the third, uh, you know, Bobert has a stronghold there, but lately, um, Frisch has come up with a lot of fundraising, but there's also been a lot of chatter about him. Is she a sure bet, or is there a challenge here? Well, the sure thing about Bobert is that there will be plenty to talk about whether she's reelected or not. Frisch, his last, his polling that he and um, he and himself commissioned looks good, looks better, looks hopeful. But we're suddenly seeing this is the messiest. We thought eight was bad, but three is getting really ugly. We have the exciting storage container sex act accusations against Adam Frisch. You know. A storage container in Aspen is probably a pretty nice place to have a rendezvous. I don't see what the problem is there. Maybe he did, uh, and if he voted against a rideshare issue in Aspen, that's not a surprise either, that cab companies in Aspen wouldn't want to let in national companies. So that's the big accusation. The Post took it up yesterday, the Adam Frisch storage locker accusation. You also have the Bobert shooting her neighbor's dogs accusation. Which apparently didn't happen. It didn't happen, right. It so, was another neighbor who said they did it. Except the neighbor hasn't come out forward, unlike <laughs> the person who's accusing Frisch. So it's just silly, because neither of these accusations have anything to do with how either of these candidates would represent their constituents or help work in Congress. Yep, but that's what political ads and conversations are about two weeks before the election. Um, okay, also, the FBI uh, and the Department of Justice, I don't know if you all have heard this, have said that Colorado is one of the top states in the country for threats aimed at election workers and polling sites. Eric, early voting started Monday. The process has started. This is disturbing. You think? Yeah. Yes, it is disturbing. Uh, when you opened the show, Kyle, you mentioned that you know election day was November eighth. In Colorado, no election day is really when the ballots go out. We are in election moment mm -hmm. uh, as as this show airs. All that November eighth is is the day when the ballots are counted. But in terms of when they are cast, we are in that period now. Uh, I've been critical of Jenna Griswold on a number of issues, but uh, threats that she has encountered, the threats that other election workers, county clerks, and others around Colorado, and quite frankly around the country, have encountered, is quite frankly unspeakable to me. It demeans our democracy. Uh, it is dangerous, and it goes hand in hand with this whole notion of election denial, 
of questioning the very foundation of our republic, which is the peaceful transfer of power. And it's part of, also part and parcel, it seems to me, of the current ethic, which is that every fight is an apocalyptic fight. You know, what about the old days when you win some, you lose some, you live to fight another day? But now everything is apocalyptic and everything is at full throttle. And the feds are saying that most of these threats are coming from out of state, that they recognize they're, they're, they're targeting states where we have had recounts and we had recounts and questions. Except, of course, Colorado didn't really have those kinds of issues compared to states like Texas and right. Arizona and Georgia. We did stories, we did interviews this week with both Jenna Griswold and her competitor, Pam Anderson. And you think, wow, here are two very strong candidates. Pam Anderson, who's been a county clerk, who's headed the Colorado county clerks. Jenna Griswold, who's been an incumbent, made some missteps, but is ferocious in fighting for uh, fundamental access to voting. So Colorado, among all the states, really is the gold standard for voting, for a lack of election fraud, no matter what Tina Peters says. Is she in jail this week? I don't know. But uh, no matter, and she ran against Pam Anderson. So if in Colorado you have county clerks who feel threatened, which both Jenna and Pam Anderson have said to us, that you know they are threatened, their county clerks are threatened, they've had to send in supervisors yeah. to make sure that there are no accusations that would have any, uh, that people would be able to believe at all. You just say, if this happens in Colorado, what's happening in Georgia? What's happening in Pennsylvania? What's happening in Arizona? They're saying, too, that these threats are kind of, kind of keeping people away from possibly volunteering at ballot sites. Or then you hear the flip side, people who are questioning the validity of these elections want to volunteer. It, it, it seems, I mean, it's crunch time. And I don't know, I'm curious what is being done when there's so much noise and they're trying to just do the job. I think there's been noise in the state for quite some time. But, but to Patty's point, the, the two biggest election deniers, Ron Hanks and, um, and uh, Tina Peters, both lost their elections in, in the Republican primary. To me, this is noise that is coming from outside of the state. One of the things I think Coloradans are going to do is stand up for democracy. And we stand up for democracy by placing our ballots and engaging in peaceful elections. And I hope that if you were on the fence of becoming an election uh, volunteer, that you go out and do that. But, but I think we need to contextualize. These threats are coming from outside of the state. These are not things that Coloradans actually believe in in majority. And whenever we've had that type of test, we flatly rejected it. I think we're going to do the same on November 8th, or I guess now until November 8th. <laughs> it should be reassuring. Well, Eric's prior criticisms of Secretary of State Griswold have been correct, and there, there are enormous competence problems in that office. They just sent out 30,000 uh, voter registration things to people who weren't eligible to vote, and they say, oh, well, everybody makes mistakes. They made the same mistake in 2000 or two years ago as well. And the high-level staff turnover of her has been atrocious. And she, good for her for cracking down on Tina Peters, but some of her other moves I think have been highly partisan and political. But the good thing is she doesn't count the votes. The county clerks count the votes. All the Secretary of State does is take those totals from the county clerks and, and add them up. Everyone? The show may look a little different tonight, but we do have something familiar that everyone loves. This is the time where we have our lightning rounds that run down Colorado's highs and lows of the week. So, Patty, what could we have done better this week? 
Well, I can say DIA, which is a perennial favorite at this time, flew in on Monday. I understand crowds are back to flying. I think it's great. I can argue with Kwame later about LaGuardia, but I had just left the new LaGuardia that's been retrofitted. Looks great. They had a crowd control. DIA, how about some signs? How about some signs about you're going to have to walk five miles to get in line for baggage? How about some signs on where you have to get the shuttle to the DIA-owned parking lot? I was dragging my mother with me, and you know those median aisles now where you're Mm. running past every other shuttle? Just some signage. We are coming into the main traveling season for the holidays. DIA can definitely do it better. At the very least, let people know what hell lies ahead. (laughs) Okay, David? Well, I want to talk about President Biden, but your your premise was... can it be done better? And no, he's doing he's doing the best job he can. But his latest uh, verbal eruption um, was at the Camp Hale National Monument ceremony, where he said about Senator Bennett, "I just want you to know the reason why he's an environmentalist. He married one; otherwise, he'd sleep alone." I bet Senator Bennett actually has many reasons why he's an environmentalist. And I bet that even if Mrs. Bennett did use sex for political blackmail, she wouldn't tell Joe Biden about it. Oh, okay then. All right. Eric, follow that up. How do I follow that one? Uh, Another perennial favorite uh, at this table, uh, Denver Public Schools. Jen Brown and the Colorado Sun just had a report today, an excellent report, but this word's been circulating in the community. Denver Public Schools has a director of special education. This is serving some of the kids who most need service, kids with disabilities in the district. This director that they have hired and promoted was fired using a different first name. His name is Michael Winston. At that point in time, he was going under Philip Winston. He was fired in Palo Alto as a school principal for sexual harassment and making it even worse. The sexual harassment was directed against students. I think Denver Public Schools, again, has their you-know-what in a jam, and they deserve it. Mm. Okay, Kwame? I I had the privilege of being on the show two weeks ago, and I talked about the Denver Broncos, and unfortunately, (laughs) it's gotten worse. I was curious if somebody was going to bring up that. You sort of have to. Lifelong Broncos fan, and it's not just the the, the stench that happens around the team. It's actually a a huge source of economic vitality for Denver. We missed four, if not five, opportunities of being broadcast on a national stage, and having a winning team helps us. It helps our tax revenue. It helps our residents. Let's just hope the Broncos get back on track because I don't think we want to be known as a football laughing stock that stays well with the New York Jets, of which you have to fly into LaGuardia (laughs) to watch. (laughs) All right, let's go to the positive things of the week, Patty. Last week, Historic Denver, which had just celebrated its 50th anniversary, gave their big awards. And it's wonderful in a town that is developing so quickly that we can stop and celebrate what has been saved. You know, we also had the opening of Tom's Diner, where Mm -hmm. you at least saved the facade of it. The Colburn Hotel, which is just, you know, the old beat generation hotel with Charlie Brown's. We need to celebrate what's great in this city while we have it. And we need to fight to save some of it, too. I absolutely agree with you. That's great. They made attention to all those great places. Bipartisan agreement on reform. Both of the major party candidates for governor in Colorado have endorsed eliminating Colorado's income tax. Nine other states already are doing great without an income tax. It really helps the, the economy not to, not to punish people for working. And 
the fact that they're both behind, and obviously this is something the Independence Institute supports where I work, I think that is uh, a very hopeful sign for the, uh, Colorado's uh, future. Okay. Eric. To a new era for Colorado Inside Out. Yay. To you, Thank Kyle. You. Thank you. To our viewers, our loyal viewers yes. over many, many years. Hopefully some new, new, new viewers are going to tune in over coming weeks and months. And related to public uh, broadcasting, a show, The U.S. and the Holocaust. It's the latest Ken Burns production. He was assisted by Lynn Novick and Sarah Botstein. This station, I know, uh, has scheduled uh, an event to air the film and a panel discussion up at Regis University. And the film will show again on this station at some point in uh, November. It's important viewing. Yeah, you wrote about it. It is spectacular. Thank you. I'm going to continue the PBS 12 love. Uh, as you noted, we have a new show, Leaders as Readers, that starts tonight. Huge, huge thanks to Kristen Blessman because this is her uh, baby. In short, we took the same candidates who are running for statewide office, of which there is uh, not very much positivity in the election, and we put the variable of a book in front of them. And we were able to ask these same people how reading influenced their lives. And the conversations were amazing. And Kyle, the greatest thing about it is when you go through these interviews, you realize there's actually not much that separates us. We focus on the four or five things that do, but when you once again add that variable like a book, we all come together. And so I'm super excited to be doing this show. Very proud that PBS wants to wants to run it. It's a great idea for a show. I'm so glad we're doing it. It really is. <laughs> let's just learn more about the other people that we see in front of us. Let's, let's know more about one another. I love it. Um, so I'm going to say thank you. That's it, everybody. We got through our first show. Um, thank you to everybody who was watching us and for the warm welcome and for everyone behind the scenes that helped make tonight possible. I also want to say a big thank you to Dominic Dizzuti, who the show's former host, who wrote me the most lovely letter, wishing me the best and sending me his blessing on what he calls the wonderful journey I'm about to begin. He pointed out that I am now the fifth host of this show, and so the fifth host that Patty has worked with. And like Dominic, Raj, Peter, and Ken before me, I will give you, our audience, and our panel my all every week. I know I've got huge shoes to fill, and I am so ready. Uh, we are here every Friday at 8 o'clock, but you can also catch the show anytime on pbs12.org and on our YouTube channel. We welcome your thoughts and ideas, so please reach out to us on our social media pages or email us at cio at pbs12.org. I am Kyle Dyer. Thank you for watching Colorado Inside Out, and I will see you here next week on PBS 12.